Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. John Lennox famously said, atheism is the opiate of the people. They use it to try to convince themselves that there is no judgment. You know, just understand this with the atheist. Atheism is driven by one thing. Really, one thing drives atheism. It is the refusal to believe that they are accountable to somebody beside themselves. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Daniel chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Brian. He keeps showing himself to be there with them because he keeps showing up among the Babylonian kings and in their courts through the different dreams and through the appearance and the fiery furnace and and all of that. And so, you know, Belshazzar was not a real smart guy. He should have put all of these pieces together and thought, yeah, let's party and, and, you know, let's get some vessels from Dagon's temple or let's get some vessels from Baal's temple, but let's not touch the the Yahweh stuff. That's what he should have understood, but obviously he didn't. And so suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned, let's just say sheet white, pale, He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking together. Wow. And rightfully so. Man, what a moment that must have been. What what an incredible moment. And let's just say this, and then I'll say a little bit more about it in a minute. But, you know, this just reminds us of how easily God can just disrupt what human beings are doing and make his sovereignty known, make his greatness known. It's, it's not a problem for him to do this. He can do it anytime, and he does it right here. And what a creative way, just the, a, 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 it, there's no body connected to it, it's a hand. And it's writing in the plaster on the wall. The plaster is not wet plaster, it's dry, but he's writing, etching. Um, But remember, the finger of God etched the commandments in the stone as well. And remember, in the New Testament, the finger of God wrote in the dirt as well. And so, Belshazzar is, he is freaked out to say the least. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed 
in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. So seems like the queen wasn't here. Now, the queen could either be um, his mother, could also be his grandmother. So Nebuchadnezzar would have died about, at, at the most, maybe 15 years before this. Um, but could have even been a less amount of time than that. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar's death to the reign of Nabonidus, and there, was, there were uh, two other, actually three other kings that reigned, but their, their reign was so brief. One was two years, one was four years, and one was three months. So basically about six years passed before Nabonidus comes to the throne and then Belshazzar and he, um, you know, probably after some time they, they developed this co-regency. So it could be his grandmother. And it seems like it might be because she knows stuff that evidently Belshazzar, well, he would have known it, but he forgot it. So... She says, may the king live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. I was wondering about the translation of that. How do you stop yourself from looking pale? <laughs> you know, but there must be some translation thing there. And then she says this, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Isn't that interesting? There is a man in your kingdom. You should know this, Belshazzar. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your grandfather, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Wow, man, what a rebuke from grandma. <laughs> She's like, call for Daniel. It's, it's, now, notice the closeness between the names, Belshazzar, and Belteshazzar. So Belteshazzar was, of course, the name given to uh, Daniel by Nebuchadnezzar. And the names mean virtually the same thing. There, there really isn't any real distinct difference. So in a sense, you have two people called Belshazzar or Belteshazzar here. But it's interesting that, to me, that the grandmother is using his Hebrew name, not his Babylonian name call for Daniel. 
And that would make sense when we think back about what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And as we saw in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, I think we would probably all agree, this is how I feel, Nebuchadnezzar had a genuine conversion to faith in Yahweh. And so this queen seems to also have at least that very high regard for, um, for Daniel and Daniel's God. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my grandfather the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I've heard that you were able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, Daniel is apparently in some sort of retirement at this point. And so maybe, you know, at the death of Nebuchadnezzar, he he was finished in his uh, duties in the court. And now he's in um, some sort of retirement. But remember, Daniel has, I mean, Daniel was like a really close friend of Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel was a friend of the most powerful man in the world. So as Belshazzar's offering him this position, it's like Daniel's like, what, what are you talking about, kid? You know, this, this is not impressive to Daniel. And he makes that clear. Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. I'm not interested in a gold chain or in being the third ruler in the kingdom. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Wow. So here we go again. Here's Daniel. Daniel, who has had to tell the king in the past bad news. And he didn't draw back from doing it. Even though, remember, he didn't want to do it out of his affection for Nebuchadnezzar. Nevertheless, he didn't... um, he didn't recoil in fear. He, he boldly proclaimed to him what the message from God was. And so he is going to do the same thing here. And so your majesty, the most high God gave your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. This was the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a one, he was the ultimate authority in the empire. There, as in the next chapter, we're going to see the Medes and the Persians as they take over. The king makes a decree, but the king of Persia 
is not able to reverse his decree because there's a law of the Medes and the Persians that says that he can't. Nebuchadnezzar had no such law. He was the law. He was the final word in Babylon. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Now here's the word to Belshazzar. But you, Belshazzar, his son or grandson, have not humbled yourself. Have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. That is the great offense of Belshazzar. He knew all of this. He knew what happened to his grandfather. He knew the story. And with that in mind, he calls for the vessels and he toasts to the false gods. And so Daniel says, you knew this and you did not do what your grandfather did, who was far superior to you in greatness. You did not humble yourself. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Wow. You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Think about all of the rulers of the world who have set themselves up against the Lord of heaven. And we've got a bunch of them today, all around the planet. All kinds of rulers set themselves up against the Lord of heaven. And we've had this kind of situation throughout all of human history but they've all been cut down. They've all been mowed down like the grass and all of the present ones will be as well. You know, I often think about rulers, you know, powerful people, oftentimes wicked people, people who uh, oppress and abuse and mistreat and murder and, you know, all of the things they do. And little do they know that in an instant, they will be cut down themselves and then they will be judged for that. But these these events remind us of that, that there's no one that escapes this. You know, there's there's a passage in Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about these, these rulers, these wicked rulers. And he says that, you know, they just come to power. They just get themselves established. They just are there thinking that they have got it all under control and suddenly they're cut down like the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, and all flesh is like grass. And so you have taken the goblets from his temple And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor God who holds in his hand your breath 
and all your ways. Wow. Wait, Belshazzar might say. Wait, no, I, I serve I serve Bel. I serve Marduk. Daniel says, the God of heaven holds your breath in his hand. You are sustained. Your very existence is a result of this God that you've blasphemed. Wow. The God in whose very hand your breath is. Belshazzar, you couldn't take a breath were it not for God's allowing you to do it. Your breath and your whole life are in his hand. And Belshazzar had no idea. He didn't think that that was the case at all. And again, people today, they just, that doesn't even come into their minds. They, they don't think about that. They don't think that their very life itself, their breath is, is given to them as a gift by God. They don't think in terms of uh, accountability. You know, Karl Marx famously said that religion is the opiate of the people. And what he meant by that was that religion doled the minds of people to allow others to oppress them. And so he wanted to rid the world of religion to bring people out from under the delusion uh, so they would rebel against their oppressors, rebel against the, the rulers. Religion is the opiate of the people. They use it to try to escape from reality. John Lennox famously said, atheism is the opiate of the people. They use it to try to convince themselves that there is no judgment. You know, this is just on my mind because I've been thinking about it a little bit. You know, just understand this with the atheist. Atheism is driven by one thing. Really, one thing drives atheism. It is the refusal to believe that they are accountable to somebody beside themselves. That is the driving force behind atheism. That's why the atheist will come up with the most absurd ideas and cling to absurd ideas and promote absurd ideas all in an effort to escape from judgment. Aldous Huxley put it this way. He said, we did not embrace Darwin because of the scientific irrefutability of his theory. We embraced Darwin because it gave us a way to live without the fear of a judgment. That's atheism. That's what, that's what it is. So when we hear people today, you know, talking about how there is no God and mocking people who believe in God, that's their drug. That's the heroin that they're shooting into their brains to numb themselves so they don't have to think about a judgment day. But as sure as Belshazzar had a judgment day and Nebuchadnezzar had his judgment day, which humbled him and turned him to acknowledge the God of heaven. Just as, you know, whoever you want to think about in history, just as they had a judgment day, the rulers of today have a judgment day coming as well. And the future rulers, whoever they might be. And we know that there's a final ruler that's going to come. 
We commonly call that person the Antichrist. And one of the things the Bible makes clear is that the Antichrist has a judgment day and that the Lord will slay him with the breath of his lips and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. And all of the power that he will amass to himself will be nothing when Jesus comes. He will be destroyed without a fight, basically. So, Daniel says, because you didn't honor the God who holds your breath in his hand, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Meeny, meeny, tackle, parson, or parrots. One's plural, one singular. So here's what was written on the wall. Numbered, weighed, divided. That's what was written on the wall. Number, weighed, divided. It was written in the language that everybody could read, but nobody could interpret it. Nobody knew what it meant. That was the dilemma. The wise men, no, nobody could figure it out. It was like a riddle. It was a mystery. What, what does this mean? Numbered, weighed, and divided. Here's what these words mean, Daniel said to the king. Meaning, numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Wow. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Wow. Now here's the thing that's crazy. Look at this. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. Wow. So a Greek historian writing not too long after the fall of Babylon told the story of how the, the Medes and the Persians penetrated the city. The city was impenetrable. I mean, you know, some, there's different estimations on the height of the walls, but the walls were, you know, some people say 90 feet high. Some people say they were 300 feet high. And, and you know, it, it would have seemed to anybody looking on that there's nobody that's ever going to get in here. And Belshazzar would have, in some sense, rightly thought that he, he was fine. He could party all night and he didn't have anything to worry about. Nobody was going to penetrate those walls. Nobody was going to make their way in. But what they discovered is that the way the water came into the city was through these tunnels. And so what they did is they dammed up a portion of the river that opened up the tunnels. And so they came into the city through these tunnels. Join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is the beginning of a new year, and I think one of the greatest things about the gospel is the truth of the grace of God, that we're saved by grace, that we live in His grace, that ultimately we are brought home through His grace. And so this month, we are offering a great little booklet by Paul David Tripp, 40 Days of Grace. So what a great way to start the new year, taking a deep dive into the grace of God. And so if you would like to get your copy, let us know, and we'll be happy to send you 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. You can order the book 40 Days of Grace by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp to help you better understand that grace is more than you think. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.